Tomorrow is uh, is Veterans Day, and um, we I know it, we have uh, a number of people who have served in the military, various branches at various times. Um, if you if you are a veteran, would you mind if you're comfortable? Would you mind just raising your hand just to identify yourself? Okay. Um, if if you know some of these folks, um, now's a great weekend to to thank them and to to honor them for for the sacrifice and for their family as well. Um, oftentimes their families have borne a cost with them as they've been absent from them usually for stretches of time. So um, in your life, just extend some appreciation. Folks who, uh, most every military person, veteran or active duty that I've spoken to has a really sincere and genuine desire to care for and serve others that is uh, it's Christ-like. It's wonderful. So that should be honored uh, amongst us. Now, this weekend's a good time to do it. So thank you to all of you. Um, and if there's anybody that was hiding, thank you, too. Um, uh, next week is our congregational meeting. And um, members, we really need you to come. Um, members are, are, of course, uh, encouraged to come and to vote. We do allow non-members to come to our meeting. You can't vote, um, but you're welcome to come see what's going on. If you miss it, we always put our budget online, um, so you'll, you'll always know what, what it is. We're not hiding that from anybody, but um, you're welcome to come and hear what the discussion is about. We'll talk about the budget. We'll vote for officers. So nominations started seemingly ages ago. Um, February, I think, was when the whole process started. Um, the people who came through nomination, we had a number of people who, who pulled out during the nomination process because they just said that they couldn't do it right now at this time in their life, which is totally fine. Um, but we have two deacon uh, candidates who've been uh, gone through training and approved, Chad Nicholson and Rich Gray, and then two elder candidates. One of them, Daniel High, is already ordained. He served on our session before he's being called back to or nominated to come back on the session. And then Jason Covert, um, who is new and has come through training. And they've all been approved. And those are the four people that you'll be voting on uh, next time. And then we'll also talk about what that nomination process, we want it to look like next year to hopefully make it better and smoother and Everybody's happy with, with how it goes, how we're all happy together, how we go down that road next year. So don't miss out. It's going to be so fun. Um, we will watch your kids uh, and provide food as well. So um, don't, don't worry that you're going to have to fend, make your kids be quiet near you. We will keep them over there. Probably just throw them all in the gaga pit and they'll gaga ball pit. That thing over there, and uh, they'll take care of each other. But also adults will watch them. Um, this morning we are moving on in our, we're coming near the end of the series on, our, on the Apostles' Creed. And we're looking at two lines of the creed this morning. Uh, our, our confession that, um, of our belief in one holy Catholic church and the communion of saints. So we're going to read a couple of passages. One uh, is in Ephesians 4, and then we'll be in 1 Peter 2. 
We're going to read the first 16 verses of Ephesians 4 and read then the first 12 verses of 1 Peter 2. So I'll start reading in Ephesians 4 and you can follow along on the screen or, or on your Bible in front of you and I'll read aloud. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. In love. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2. The Apostle Peter writes, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones and being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let me pray for us.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that by your Holy Spirit, the church is birthed and sustained, purified. We pray this morning that this local expression of your great bride would hear your word, that your word would be the word that we do indeed hear, not mine. We pray, God, that our hearts would be soft and our affections would be stirred and we would grow in love, just as Paul writes in Ephesians. Do that by the power of your spirit, Lord Jesus, to the praise of your name. Amen. There's a, there's a lot of things in the creed that are difficult for people to confess. I think maybe for people who are Christians, this particular set of confessions are the most difficult ones. There's a lot of people who can track all the way through the beginning of the creed and have no problem confessing Father God who creates everything, the work of Jesus in his life, in his death, and his resurrection, and can even confess belief in the Holy Spirit. But then when you ask for a confession of belief in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints, the words come out of a choked throat, not quite sure if we can actually confess it. And uh, maybe that's true in our day, more true in our day than it is for many previous generations. We, we have to be honest about the context that we live in, the place, the time, the culture, and where we live particularly is obsessed with individualism, private experience. And so to come to the table and together say these words out loud is in itself a weird thing. Many people walk into a room, and if they saw from the back a bunch of people facing a wall and saying the same words out loud, they'd be like, what cult is happening here, and how do I get out as quickly as possible? But then to also confess this thing together that you believe in this corporate expression is foreign, because our culture emphasizes the individual, and says, what most matters is your own private, individual experience. And if that's what's most important to us as a culture, then that must be what's most important to God, that you have this private, individual experience. And the truth is that it's not just the creed that undermines this. We don't just believe in creeds because they're old and creeds are important. We, we believe what the creed says because what we're saying is the creed accurately reflects the communication of Scripture. And the Bible in both the Old and the New Testaments is quite clear. You cannot be a part of the people of God without being part of the people of God. There is no private experience of being an Israelite. There is no private and individual experience of being a Christian. The whole expectation of the Bible is that if God calls you to be a part of his people, you are part of a people. And many of us would say, for good or for ill, you are part of a people. Now, part of what we may struggle with in confessing this in the creed 
this line, the holy Catholic Church, is that many of us are like, well, I'm not Catholic. I'm Protestant. I'm not in on that. Thank you very much. And it's because we have... We don't understand what the word itself is trying to say. The, the simplest way that, that we can understand that word is to, to understand it to mean universal. But it, it's better understood as wholeness. And we, what we're confessing is that not that we're Roman Catholic, but that we are believing in the holy wholeness of the church. And it's an important and difficult confession. It's, a, it's an article of faith in a lot of ways because the church isn't under the umbrella of one organization alone. We have lots of different kinds of churches in lots of different languages, in lots of different times and places. And what we are saying together is that somehow all of these people in diverse bodies and diverse names and diverse languages and cultures and places, somehow all of these things are the whole body of Christ. We are all together the wholeness of the church of Jesus. We confess it and we believe it. And we look to these words that Paul says in Ephesians 4 and focuses on the oneness of our faith. Did you hear the the way that he repeats that idea? There is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And even in Paul's day, this is an article of faith because he's writing to people in Ephesus and he travels to people who live in Rome in Jerusalem, in North Africa. He wants to go all the way to the borders of the Roman Empire in Spain. And it's not like everybody is forever standing in a room together already at the writing of the New Testament. The church is spread out over lots of different places. And Paul is saying to everyone, even still, it's one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And we are still the people that are descended from that people that are in fact still by the power of the Holy Spirit, who we talked about last week, are bound to these people. And that's why even today, we, we hold on to this and, and recognize it by saying, hey look, if you were baptized as a Lutheran, if you were baptized in the Roman Catholic Church, if you were baptized in a non-denominational church and you come here, that counts. We don't need to re-baptize you. We don't need to give you a Presbyterian version. If you are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one baptism, baby, you're in. It counts. That membership card is accepted everywhere. Well, we would hope so. Because we are still confessing this, that the primary identifier for the people of God is not us, It's not the way that we look. It's not the way that we sound. It's not the language that we speak. The primary marker and identifier around around which the church is organized is the one person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God. He is actually what defines us. And so we now stand in the company of the gathered We we are amongst the gathered people of God that have existed for thousands of years. And our membership amongst the people, sure, may start with this local expression. 
But that's why we pray for the other churches in this valley. Because they are our brothers and sisters. Part of this same church. This is why we we encourage each other to pray for the church in other places. That we'll never see. Because they too are our brothers and sisters. And that's why when we read in in Hebrews chapter 12 that there is a great cloud of witnesses, we say that even those who are not currently breathing are members of the same church that we are. Though I have never met the many, many, many generations of the church that have preceded me by the power of the Holy Spirit, we stand as members of a living church. We are part of them, and they are somehow knit into us. It is is the opposite of the individualism of our age. And you are not presented here the option to live alone following Jesus. You know, I've, I've heard many times, you know, when I... Uh, when I'm floating on the river and it's quiet, I'm watching the, the vapor rise off of the river. Man, that's my church. When I'm hiking in the, the trails alone, listening to nature, that's my church. When I am having a beer around the fire with my friends, that's my church. That's not your church. That's cool, that's real, that's good. But that is not church. The, 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 we have conflated church to mean the place where I have experience with God. And that is not what church is. It's not church without the church. And it's not, what that means is, it's not church without the gathered members and people of God. Our our culture wants us to believe that what most matters is that privatized individual experience. But in the very essence of the word itself, church, is a focus and emphasis on all these other people. And you can't have the church by yourself. You're still a member of it because of the work of Jesus. Those are good things that you're experiencing, that I'm experiencing. Please go float on the river by yourself. Please go on hikes. Please get together with your friends. But that is in addition to being a part of the church. And if anybody's listening to on the podcast, I did not start preaching this because you're not here and I'm shaming you for not being at church. Just want to get that out of the way. Please do not send a link to this message to people who miss church with like an angry eyes emoji or something. That is not the intent of this. If you miss church, the Lord is convicting you and that's all, that's all I'm here to do. Okay, that's, I'm not coming after you particularly. But we cannot do this alone. And I would suggest this idea that that this thing that we are doing here, this corporate gathered experience, is an accessory to that is 
is subservient to your private individual experience is the belief of a comfortable, wealthy, modern American Christianity that has no reflection in the history of the church, which is largely and often a fringe minority and who is clinging to one another literally for dear life. The rest of the New Testament church is saying you cannot possibly do this alone. This thing is what matters because they are on the verge of spilling their blood to confess Christ. And our brothers and sisters who live in this world and who will actually pay the price for bearing the name of Jesus do not understand this idea That your private individual experience is what God most wants for you. They will literally walk barefoot for miles to get to church because they desperately understand and need. I am a part of a people. And it is because not only will they live together, but they will die together. The idea that our culture in in this Western expression of Christianity embraces is the confession of a privileged people and who have utilized the logic of our privilege to redefine what the church has normally expected. That's why for many people throughout time and history, The gathering of the people of God is the thing around which you order your life. That this worship and life together is a necessity and not a thing that we just, you know, if we knock it out this week, it's, you know, it's pretty good. And I confess to you, there have been plenty of times where I thought, man, it must be nice to not have this be your job because then you could just not come. I, I look at other people and their freedom to have like a whole weekend where they could just go and do things. And honestly, I'm not judging people who don't come to church. I'm looking at them and saying, man, that'd be pretty cool. I feel it myself. I'm not standing up here as a, as a, as a pious representative of the perfect. I'm saying I get it. Completely. But I know that I too am being formed by our world to say that, you know, as long as I have my private Bible reading, as long as I have my private experience, is that enough? And it's not. You and I need one another. We need one another. Peter's description is that that Jesus is the cornerstone of a building. And you and I are being made into stones as well. And that we fit in together to build the spiritual house of God. And and we can't exist as a rock in a field by itself. You have to actually be joined together. Paul's language, his imagery is that of a body. He used that metaphor many times that that you play a significant part in the body of Christ, that all the joints and everything actually function together. 
If you are in Christ, you are in something together. We are in this alive together. But do you hear all the other instructions that went along with these two passages? Let's, let me just call back the beginning of chapter 4 of Ephesians. It says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then Peter starts his thing. Put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. How many of us would say, okay, if I could create a checklist of behavior that I have seen from Christians, this is the list. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Christians don't put this away. They deal in it. This is my experience. This is how Christians treat one another with gentleness and love. What I've seen is backbiting. What I've seen is people using power to crush one another, to advance their agenda rather than to serve one another. The creed asks us to confess that we believe in a communion of saints. Wasn't most people's ordinary experience that churches are anything but a communion of saints, but they're instead a communion of people who are at least as flawed as every other group of people ever. And for many of us, who confess the rest of the creed gladly, there is deep, deep pain in trying to choke out the words, I believe in the communion of saints. Because oftentimes our corporate experience, it's not just one of mutual love and support and self-sacrifice. It is an experience of doing violence to one another. And for many people, unfortunately, they have been abused in the church. The people have been violated at the deepest, most intimate levels. Abused and raped, molested, physically, emotionally violated And the church is not just the place where it happens, but the church covers it up, propagates it, allows it, excuses it, explains it away. And you want me to come and confess that we believe in the communion of saints. There is real and legitimate pain that comes with this line of the creed. And it is, unfortunately, the instinct of people to defend yourself or to explain away what is most tragic. Say, well, not everyone is like that. We would never do that. I've never experienced, I would never, I would never stand for that. And for somebody who has been 
so deeply wounded? The response is none of that. The response is, I am sorry. I'm sorry that you came in to the house of God for healing and were instead victimized to whatever level that was inflicted upon you. As somebody who who represents this church, who represents churches, I am sorry that people who bore the name of Jesus would, would look the other way or facilitate or excuse what was done to you. And I, I read Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 2, and the rest of Scripture, and I see the incredible possibilities, the hope that's there for the people of God. And there's also incredible sorrow over what we have failed to be. Because Peter's argument is exactly this. When the outside world accuses you of evil doing, let your conduct be a demonstration that your claims about Jesus are true. And how often have we failed to rise to that call? And, and look, we, we as, a, as a community together, we want to be a, a place of healing and restoration. And we, we talk about abuse and things done in darkness in this church because we don't want that stuff to happen in our darkness. We, we want to make sure that we are doing everything we can, both in the intention of our hearts and the practices that we have, to make sure that doesn't happen here. Certainly. We want to be a place whose the way that we treat one another is filled with this kind of self-giving, sacrificial love that cares for people who will put away backbiting and slander and power grabs and maliciousness and all these other things. We want to be a people that obey that, and we, we try to be a repentant people together. That's why we don't just come to the table and commune together every week. We confess our sin together every week so that nobody here ever gets the idea that at Valley Hope, we're over it. We've moved past it. We're better than this. We're confessing every single week. We're exactly the kind of people who would be next in line in that long lineage of people, Christian people, who have acted this way. We'll never give ourselves a pass and think, well, we've, we're better than this. Sin is, is prowling around. And, and we, want, we want that to be hunted down and chased out wherever possible. But we are also the people who look at ourselves and we look at Jesus. And we say we have never been called saints because of our conduct. I, I, I was never called in to the people of God because I rose to the bar of being good enough. I, I do confess my belief in the communion of saints. 
But it is not my confession that the gathered people of God are always saintly. My confession is about Jesus. That Jesus is a, is, is a God who gathers a people and makes them his own. Jesus is a God who, who gathers us, who gathers this particular collection of people. Jesus gathers Valley Hope. He makes us his saints because of his own holiness, his own generosity with his holiness. And so we have no delusions here. When we say that we confess our belief in the communion of saints, we have no delusions that we're saying something about ourselves. We are saying something about Jesus. And so when we, in our community, when we see signs of sin and falling short, we're not surprised, we're not shocked, because we know ourselves, we've seen ourselves, and our hope has never been in us. Our hope has only ever been in Jesus. And so that frees us to look with honesty at one another, to look with honesty at ourselves and say, we, we've fallen short again. We have to throw ourselves at the mercy of God. We have to throw ourselves at the mercy of Jesus. And we take heart. Because if we are Jesus' church, if we are the people who are gathered under one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and we are, then what Jesus says is, we are His people Ugly though we may be, but He will make us together into His bride who will be spotless. Who will one day free us from all of the dirtiness of our sins so that one day there will be no more struggling about it. There will be no more imperfections to mar His bride. He, he looks to His bride, the church, and says that He has wedded Himself to her, to us, and that He will one day complete what He has started. So we confess something that is presently true. He's made us holy because of His work, and we're confessing something that will one day be true. That we may not be very saintly looking now, but Jesus is going to take this collection of hit and miss, motley, fool kind of people and transform them fully into the image and likeness of God. That we will one day be fully incorporated together into the life and love of God Himself. And so even if it's painful, we confess. We believe in the communion of saints. It's part of why we partake of communion every week at this church. Because at this table is something important that by the Spirit of God, we feast on the work of Christ. We, work, we feast on the work of Christ together. So that by His Holy Spirit, we are one people we are one people nourished on our one God and Father. The church that we are together is a church that God sends to the world. You don't... The one temptation is, is to believe this lie of individualism. I can follow Jesus by myself. Another temptation is to believe that I can come to church on Sunday for me. And that is what God wants from me. The gathered people of God are gathered for a purpose. 
The purpose is not just to do this thing. The gathered people of God are only ever existing on mission. Jesus does not look at his disciples and say, what I've, the thing that I've called you to do is to hang out together. And if you can get some other stuff done in your busy week, you know, that's cool. What he says is, you are commissioned to go and to replicate yourselves. And it's woven into the language that Peter uses. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. For what? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There is a priestly vocation in the people of God. That you and I, together, not just alone, but together, are called to go in between God and the world. To mimic this priestly call and to go tell the rest of the world about the thing that has organized us together. That we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into the marvelous light. That we are a people who are called together to together go to the places that are dark and say the light of God is bursting forth out of over all the earth. That the sun is rising. That darkness will die. That sin and death will die. That you don't have to be alone anymore. You don't have to pursue a life of individualism alone anymore. You don't have to live in the slavery and the tyranny of yourself anymore, but Jesus has come to rescue you, to save you, to put you into a people, to a family, to a whole people group that are together under the protection of God's house. You and I are not called to be alone with Him, and we are not called to gather together alone. We are called to go together for the proclamation of the great work of God in the world. The people of, of God exist for the mission of God. And our church, particularly the church globally, is meant to be active looking outside more than it is meant to be looking inside. This place exists for people who have been lost in darkness to be free from and tyranny and sin that erupts out of them and happens to them. So we can be none of these things. People who are alone having experience with God. People who are together having experiences with one another alone. We are a people together sent by God for the great glory of God. This is what defines the church throughout all ages. And it is therefore a call to us to be a church like that. To be a church that represents the whole, that rightly represents this whole vision of what God wants to do in the world. If you are here today and you have been living a privatized American spiritual experience kind of religion, then you've even looked at Jesus and put Jesus' name on it. There's good news for you. You get to have something better than that. It is often harder it is often more uncomfortable. It will mess with your weekends. It will mess with your life. And it is what God has for you. And it is better. 
It will make you better and it will give you better gifts. And so I'm not telling you this to shame you. You know, you've only made it to church, you know, twice this year. That's not, I'm not here to shame anyone. This is good news. You get to come to church. That's awesome. That's great. I'm not here to look at how many times you haven't come to church. You don't have to tell me. I don't need to know. Doesn't bother me. God has good things for you. Come get more good stuff. And if you are are sitting in church today and you realize you've kind of taken the philosophy of that and imported it into church, we're like, okay, I'm going to have a good individual experience by hanging out with a bunch of people in church. And you realize that you don't think of church as being the place where you are sent on mission. There's good news for you too. You get to get out of here. You get to come to church and be sent as church. And the whole vision that God has for you and your life with Him is not just to get your bottom on this pew. The vision that God has for us as a people together is to get here and then get up and get out and come back and get up and get out. It is a constant in and out flow of life with God, refreshment in God, worshiping God, being sent with God. So you and I may need to confess one another, we got to get out of here. We've been here too much. We got to get out of this building. We got to get out of the habits of our life. We got to get out of focusing on ourselves so much. We got to hang out with more people, different people. But that is good news. That's, that's a wonderful invitation because what God will do in you and with you and for you and through you is way better than a life of stagnation and looking inward and only caring about ourselves. We believe in one holy Catholic church and the communion of saints. It is a good work of God in the world even when it is painful and we fall well short. I would invite you this morning, wherever you're coming from, don't trust in me, please. Don't trust in this place, please. We will fail you Absolutely, I will personally fail you, or have already. Come trust in Jesus. Trust in what Jesus is doing in the world through his church. Trust that he will do it. Even if his people look like there are no chance that this will happen, he stakes his name on it, And he says, I will complete what I have started. I will make my glory to cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And I will use my church. Come trust in Jesus this morning. He will never let you down, even when his people do. He puts his name on it. And he is good. Let me pray for us. Father, the the church is a messy thing, a difficult thing, conflicted thing. We, We have all accumulated scars in the church. Some of us, horrific, violent, deep scars. 
The church throughout history, in your name, has done terrible things. And we know that our hope cannot be in us. Our hope has to be in you. As it always should be. Father, I pray for the folks who hear my voice, who have been hurt by the church. I pray, Father, that you will make clear to them that they are seen and known and cared for first by you, but that there are others who deeply care. I pray that you would send people, your people, to represent your healing to those who've been lost darkness and pain and shame and that redemption would come when it seems like redemption is impossible. Father, I I pray for those of us who can honestly confess that we just kind of grow into the rhythm of, of being a church and have things looking inward all the time by habit, by nature, we confess that to you, God. We, we ask, we plead for you to do a good work in us, individually, together, that you'd turn our eyes outward, that it wouldn't be about our comfort, our life, but it would be our taking up the vocation of priests in this world, who have the benefit to go from God to the people proclaim the good news of Jesus. Father, make us a people who who obey the instructions of Scripture to set aside this way of life that is self-obsessed, that tramples on those in our way, but instead we give ourselves to a life of service, care, and sacrificial love because we see your own great care and love for us. Father, help us to be more like you. We're so grateful for the work of your Holy Spirit that we can pray that in trust. We look to the day, we look forward to the day when we will see you face to face. Your bride will be presented spotless and clean. We pray, Lord Jesus, that day would come quickly and that you would carry us until we do see it. We love you, Jesus.